sympathy for the Republic of Azerbaijan and its conflict with Armenia, including liberating Azerbaijani occupied lands, is not the same as uh, Baku being able to mobilize Iranian ethnic minorities to rise up and seek separation from the rest of Iraq. Welcome to the Caspian Podcast, the podcast of the Caspian Post with me, Mark Elliott. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Caspian Podcast with me, Mark Elliott. Today, I'm so delighted to have back uh, for a second time, Alex Vatanka. Uh, Alex is a senior fellow at the Middle East Institute. Um, you'll see in the behind him there a little uh, picture of the front cover of his latest book, which is well worth reading. He's an expert on Iranian affairs, uh, particularly to do with the, the neighbouring region, which is exactly what we're interested in too. So uh, last time, Alex, we talked a great deal about more historical things, about the the, the revolution and, and that time. What I'm hoping we can do this time is talk a little bit more about what's going on now. And uh, we're particularly interested with what's gone on in um, with between Iran and Azerbaijan just this last couple of weeks. Um, oh, I'm straight on into <laughs> into it there. Well, that's great. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be back, and thanks for that question. As you said, it's an important topic. Look, I would just very briefly describe the overall relationship between the country of uh, the Republic of Azerbaijan, which became independent when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, and the country to its south called Iran. Now, Republic of Azerbaijan, for most of its history, certainly in the last uh, many centuries, would have been part of the Persian Empire. Uh, but uh, the Persian Empire lost most of its uh, Caucasian territories, if you will, to the Russians over the course of a number of de military defeats in the 19th century. So you have the reality of about 10 million uh, Azerbaijanis living in what is today the modern Republic of Azerbaijan, and about as twice as many ethnic Azerbaijanis living inside of Iraq. For that simple reason alone, for the historic proximity, geographic proximity, ethnic and religious proximity, what happens in Iran matters for the Republic of Azerbaijan and vice versa. And in terms of present day, uh, you know, the, the two countries clearly are are so similar in so many ways in terms of history and all the rest of that. And yet in terms of political decision of the, of the respective leaderships, they're so different. And specifically on foreign policy, they've chosen to go very different directions. So Iran, as we know, is uh, sort of adhering to this um, revolutionary political Islamic system since 1979 with the coming of Ayatollah Khomeini. Republic of Azerbaijan uh, and the leadership in that country Haydar Aliyev, the first president of, of, of that republic, and his son, Ilham Aliyev, they've chosen to go in a very different direction. Um, so in terms of their foreign policy, Azerbaijan has mostly either looked to the West, and when that hasn't really worked out, uh, which has often been the case, they've looked to countries like Turkey. Azerbaijan uh, has also looked to Israel for, uh, for, for sort of foreign policy uh, support, if you will. And that's a big problem for Iran. Exactly, exactly. So you 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 nailed it, Mark. When I mention Israel and uh, uh, you know Iran, obviously would would care. And the Israelis and the Turks this last year in the last big round of military conflict, uh, at least from Iran's perspective, um, uh, from Iran's perspective, they felt that the Turks and the Israelis now have a deeper footprint in the South Caucasus in Azerbaijan than ever before. And you know the Azerbaijanis might. Again, from Iran's perspective, they might invite the Israelis to help them vis-a-vis -vis the Armenians, but the Iranians thinking, hang on a minute, 
one day that Israeli attention is going to be turned around and be focused on us. And Israel is going to be able to use Azerbaijan as a platform of source against Iran. For example, and I'll stop here, but the Iranian leadership have repeatedly charged that Israel is using Azerbaijani soil to carry out operations inside of Iran in terms of assassination of nuclear scientists, allegedly using Azerbaijani soil for drone attacks. I cannot substantiate any of this. But I can tell you these are the charges that officially Iran is leveling, or I shouldn't say officially, but some Iranian officials have suggested this is what's going on. So for this reason alone, it's a very contentious relationship at the moment. Right. And so when the, the Iranian regime was was saying that the, the reason for their um, recent military exercises, um, for, for about a week, there was a large military buildup and, and, and exercises right along the, the, the border. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the news reports carried a thing that it was, a, um, I think I've written it down here somewhere, that it was against the, the movement of Zionist forces or something, like, something of that type um, on, uh, on their borders. Well, I think from most people's points of views, and, and I think the um, Azerbaijani president had said, well, what, what are you talking about? We don't have any actual Zionist forces there. But, but so do we have any proof, whatever, of any actual Israeli um, activity in, in Azerbaijan? Or is it actually more a reference to the fact that um, Israeli weapons were used in arming Azerbaijan against Armenia? I mean, to be honest, and a quick, dirty answer to that is, I don't know. Yeah, okay. I don't know how many Israelis are, are in Azerbaijan today um, uh, operating against Iran on behalf of Azerbaijan against a third party, Armenia, or someone else. I have no idea. Clearly, that would be uh, a closed secret. They're not going to reveal that in the open sources for an open source analyst like myself to pick it up. But I look at trajectories, Mark. I don't just look at the latest yeah. events. I look at trajectories, and I... No doubt in my mind that since the mid-1990s, the country of Azerbaijan has strategically decided that close relations on all levels, economic, militarily, uh, political, with, uh, with the state of Israel, it's, is to its benefit. Uh, and this, I don't think anybody can dispute that. Now, mm. would, would that result in hundreds of, of uh, Mossad agents being stationed in Baku to do A, B, and C? I have no idea. But I'll be equally shocked if there was an Israeli-Azerbaijani uh, intelligence cooperation, because we know there's military cooperation. I mean, the, I mean, the arms sales from Israel to Azerbaijan, including the drones, this is not a secret. I mean, the president of Azerbaijan stands next to, next to Israeli-made drones. I mean, this is a fact of life. Um, economically, I should also say Azerbaijan is a major, if not the, one of the biggest suppliers of oil to Israel. So there are things we can't deny about the relationship. But where it becomes difficult to assess exactly what the Iranian charges are, and for anybody who's in um, doubt what Mark was referring to when he says Zionist, and you hinted at it yourself, you said it, it is, is a reference to the state of Israel. Are the Israelis in Azerbaijan in ways that Iran genuinely feels is an imminent threat? Um, I think they're getting to that point, uh, Mark. If they felt five years ago, that the Azeris are using the Israeli car to shape Iran's calculations, i.e., if you push us, if Tehran pushes Baku, you're pushing me into the arms of the Israelis, and do you really want that? Where well, I think the Iranians feel that that's too late now. The Azeris have made their decision. They are in, in a very close relationship with the Israelis. 
So what Iran is doing in turn, to your point about these latest exercises, is to remind the Azeris that Iran too can turn up the pressure on Azerbaijan. You know, in the past, when, when this happened, what you would witness, for example, was what a, a lot of, um, we call it war of words, but basically Iranian propaganda aimed at the Aliyev household, the Aliyev family. Again, remember, 20 million ethnic Azeri plus, 20 million uh, Iranians are ethnic Azeris. Yeah. A, if, imagine if the Iranians start using that community and the state machinery around to propagate against the rulers in Baku, the leading political elite. That's not good news for President Aliyev. So we're on this for a tit for tat. Uh, each side is trying to shape the other side's calculations. But I have to say, Baku and Tehran both are absolutely against anything that looks like military con con uh, conflict. That would be a lose-lose situation. And clearly you see that in the last few days uh, where each side has committed themselves to a political dialogue. And we uh, saw the two Iranian truck drivers that were arrested by the Azeri forces for being on, uh, I'm not even sure if they were on Azerbaijani territory or Armenian territory, but nonetheless, they were arrested by Azerbaijani forces and now have been released as part mm. of this effort to de-escalate. Yes, I think I think the issue there is that the, the, the road that leads from Iran into uh, Armenia does cross a few little tiny pieces of Azerbaijani territory that they re they recovered. So so essentially, yes, they do go across. Um, uh, it's a long story. We've written a little article about that. So anyone interested could look on our website. But just take you back to the little bit where we were talking. You were talking about the 20 million um, Azerbaijani Turks who live on the Iranian side. And you were talking about how they may be stirred up against Baku. But I think um, Azerbaijanis um, on the Republic side would also think that they might be stirred up against Tehran. Um, and there's, a, there's certainly a narrative that I've read quite a lot about that, uh, for example, during the Second Karabakh War of November uh, last year, um, a lot of the uh, the the um, the Iranian Azerbaijanis uh, were very much in support of Azerbaijan during that conflict, and that there was some some way in which they were they were sort of showing a great sign of somewhat sort of patriotism, cross border patriotism. Again, from what you know, is 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 one side or the other overplayed, or is that really happening? Right. No, I mean, that's a great question. So this is how I look at it, Mark. If you go back to the first set of conflicts between Azerbaijan and, and uh, Armenia, remember, the first conflict happened when the Soviet Union was still in existence. Mm. You were sitting in Iran. Uh, Soviet Union was next door neighbor, but you didn't know what on earth was going on because the Soviet Union was closed. So Iranian Azeris, for the longest of time, had no idea what was going on to their northern cousins. And they weren't involved in the first set of conflicts in the early 1990s, simply because of lack of awareness. Now, you fast forward to about 30 years later. Today, Iranian Azerbaijanis have a lot more linkages and back and forth travel and all the rest of it between Iran and Republic of Azerbaijan. To your point about awareness and be mobilized. So I think, yes, absolutely. Things are different today than they were 30 years ago. But I would also tend to look at it in the following way. Um, I don't think sympathy for the Republic of Azerbaijan in its conflict with Armenia, including liberating Azerbaijani-occupied lands, is not the same as 
uh, Baku being able to mobilize Iranian ethnic minorities to rise up and seek separation from the rest of Iraq. Those are two very distinct things. Uh, ethnic Azerbaijanis have been part of the rest of Iran for 5,000 years. The notion that, they, that this is not Yugoslavia. This isn't something that was banged up together after Second World War. They have been living there. And I mean, we sit here today and talk about ethnic Azeris being about 20 million. Who knows the real figure? Because they don't track it. The supreme leader of Iran is half Azerbaijani. Uh, if you go to Tehran, Tehran is probably as large of an Azerbaijani city as Baku is, if not bigger. Right. So the notion that this is a clear cut, black and white, you just go and tell the Azeris to separate and to join the rest of the Republic of like, this is a fantasy that a minority group of people have. I think Azeris, like every other ethnic minority in Iran, have a right to be complaining to the central government about some of the policies that are coming their way, that are essentially, you know, very often discriminated against minorities, ethnic minorities, religious minorities. But I think the Azeris are actually not in a bad position uh, as compared to other minorities in Iran because they're Shia. Yeah, yeah. If you are a minority, the Kurds have a tougher time in Iran than the Azeris do. So, and Mark, let me just say this as well. Just for a second, imagine President uh, Elham Aliyev wakes up one morning and he's told, sir, the Iranian Azerbaijani populated provinces have just joined the Republic. There's 20 million of them. I mean, how are you going to deal with that? People that essentially are, you know, they were, they were the same people, but they have been separated for over 200 years. There are cultural values that you have in the South that you don't necessarily have in the North. And I can go on and on. So the idea that this is a you know, quick integration and you can have a major Republic of Azerbaijan being born, again, I think it's a fantasy of a few people out there. I have to say, uh, again, one of my my little travel stories, I've, I mean, I've made travel, several trips through Iran and uh, many times the, the taxi driver is an Azerbaijani Iranian, or in fact, often not even calling themselves, they're often calling themselves an Iranian Turk. And, and I have asked a couple of times uh, whether they thought there was any sort of possibility that that, that area would want to split off. And they, they, they look at me like, well, why? We run this place. <laughs> so, I mean, Mark, look at the last few number of kings, including the Shah. I mean, if you go back to the Qajar, uh, all the way to the Safavid dynasty, the last 500 years, most Persian kings came from Iranian Azerbaijan. The notion that they are, you know, this minority powerless sitting up in the northwest of the country is just, you know, if anybody makes that claim, they haven't paid attention to what Azerbaijanis do in terms of politics, in terms of the civil society, in terms of their role in the military. I mean, a lot of the commanders of the Revolutionary Guards are from Azerbaijani background. So I'm not defending Tehran's policies against minorities in Iran because I think there are real issues there. Absolutely. But I also think it's a bit of a leap to talk yeah, about yeah government being bad and Azerbaijan of Iran breaking away. That's a very fair point. Now, the next point is somewhat related. Um, quite often, Iran is portrayed perhaps as, as favouring Armenia. Now, that was uh, in this sort of endless conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Um, uh, that I'm never quite sure whether that's just because both sides want Iran to come down on their side, or whether there really has been some strategic bias towards towards Armenia, which which perhaps was not visible during the the the, the war last year, but but is more general. Is that something that you believe is the case, or is that not not true? 
Right. So publicly, the Iranian authorities cannot afford to side with Armenia. I mean, there's an Armenian minority of about 200,000 people, and there's an ethnic Azerbaijani population of 20 million plus. So, you know, if you care about sentiment in, inside the country, it's the Azeri sentiment you ought to worry about and cultivate or at least contain so the anger doesn't burst. Uh, I think, you know, going back to Armenia, the first set of wars in the 1990s sort of put us in the trajectory we're on right now. At the time, there were voices in Baku, including the first president of, of the Republic of Azerbaijan, uh, who were sort of talking about, you know, the rest of Azerbaijan, Iranian Azerbaijan, joining the North. This was seen as a threat by, by the central government of Tehran. So they, you know, um, the, whatever the expression is, the enemy of my enemy is my friend type of thing, they yeah. went and sided with Armenia. They have done that over the years, more or less, but increasingly they do it very quietly. Um, we know in the last war, the Russians were using Iranian territory to get supplies to the Armenians, which is ironic. Armenia is Iran's only Christian neighbor, and Azerbaijan is a Shia majority country. And, and who does Iran support? The Christians against the Shia. But this is about geopolitics. And now, speaking of geopolitics, you know, when the Turks and the Iranians have tensions in relations, Iran's support for Armenia tends to go up. And the same, by the way, is true for Iran's, if not practical, the, the definitely rhetorical support for the country of Greece on the other side of Turkey. <laughs> correlation here. And this is, you know, this is not just unique to Iran. Right now, the countries that, I mean, just to give you the latest news that I was reading up, which country is suddenly aiding Armenia or promising to aid Armenia? The faraway country of India. What's India involved in this for? Because Pakistan has supported Azerbaijan. In fact, Pakistan is one of the few countries in the world that doesn't recognize Armenia as a state and is fully behind Azerbaijan. So there is a lot of interesting geopolitics behind it. For Azerbaijan, end of the day, the concern is the following. They can use Turkey, they can use Israel, they can use others in vis-a-vis -vis the Iranians. But how much are they willing to risk it in terms of a potential backlash from Iran? This is the great unknown. Uh, we haven't seen the Iranians, as far as I can tell, we haven't seen them fully go after and mobilize against Baku for a long time now. What if they did that? Is that something Baku wants to see? I doubt it. I don't think Baku wants to see it. And I suspect what we're going to see in the next few weeks and months is a return to contained tensions as opposed to runaway tensions. Mm. Well, I, I, I think uh, might have been in your article recently. Or it's not, but anyway, there's certainly the, the point that nobody wants war. But right. then one of the questions is sometimes it does want you. One does wonder whether Israel might like some kind of uh, preemptive conflict um, against Iran, uh, given that uh, Israel doesn't really want the. Uh, nuclear deal for against the sanctions versus sanctions um, brought right. back, whereas most of the rest of the world probably does. And perhaps the one worry might be that um, Israel might, might somewhat be nudging um, Baku's posture of, of slightly more aggressive behavior towards Iran as, as a way to sort of perhaps um, lure Tehran into making some missteps, or is that being overly conspiratorial? Well, you know, that might be the intentions of a country like Israel and others, frankly. I don't think the Azeris are that, are that naive. I, I mm. think they know exactly what they want out of the relationship with the state of Israel. I mean, they walked into that relationship with their eyes wide open. 
I don't think any of Iran's neighbors uh, want to be a, a platform for an Israeli or American or other attack against Iraq. I mean, the Saudis, the Emiratis, the Bahrainis, the Iraqi Kurds that have relations with Israelis. None of the, these countries want the benefits of a relationship with Israel. When it comes to the point where Israel actually might use their territory and, and go after Iran, which surely would invite Iranian retaliation, that's when these countries will say, thank you, but no thanks. I don't think the Israelis are that naive. And I don't think the Israelis, which is going to link to what you asked, Mark, I don't think the Israelis are looking to uh, start a war with Iran. I think what they're trying to do is to shape Iran's calculations. This encirclement of Iran that we see right now, with the Israeli diplomacy now you know, showing up in new embassies from Manama in Bahrain to Abu Dhabi and so forth, this is Israel basically sending a message to Iran that if you come next to us and you put your troops down outside uh, Golan in Syria, or you put more missiles in south of Lebanon, we can do the same. We can return the favor in kind. And this is, I'm sure that's what the Israelis are hoping for. We'll get Iran to back off. And then the Israelis then have to back off on their own. I mean, that is how you get de-escalation. I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and defend every single Israeli policy in the region, because I think a lot of them uh, at times have, you know, uh, been wrong, certainly vis-a-vis uh, -vis some of the policies of the Palestinians. But when it comes to the issue of Iran, I always go back to the basic of questions. Who started the fight between Iran and Israel? And it was Iran. It was Ayatollah Khomeini in 1979. The Israelis didn't go to, you know, United Nations or to Washington say Iran is, 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 is a bad actor. Not till the Iranians said Israel has to go. And they don't recognize Israel's right to exist. So it is totally natural for the Israelis to mobilize as much as they can. And here's the other big problem the Iranians have. They have plenty of anxious neighbors, including Azerbaijan, who are looking to countries like Israel to team up as partners against what they feel to be potential threats coming from Iran. Yeah, certainly. Again, just as usual, my tra travel related insights, very limited as they are. But I, I must admit, whenever I was traveling in Iran, uh, a lot of people just normal people on the street were just so fed up of any word about um, antagonizing Israel or even they're like, well, it's just another country. Why should we worry? And I think amongst the people, the the, the fact that Tehran wastes so much energy um, in faraway places is a little frustrating. Now, finally, um, the, the, the another, another thought about um, how Iran is playing geopolitically. Um, some have written that uh, if there was full peace in the Caucasus, and and which we, obviously we'd love that Azerbaijan and Armenia made perfect friends, that there was a um, opening of all the borders, opening the border with Turkey, um, that that would be a, a wonderful solution for peace. But would it be seen by Iran as actually uh, something that has lost, uh, they've, they've lost out geopolitically? Or is that, again, just being a bit silly, really? Well, look, if Iran loses that, there's a distinct possibility they might lose that in, in the South Caucasus. And arguably, they did lose that last year because the Turks and the Israelis showed up uh, and, and put their flags down in ways they hadn't done before. So Iran has already been losing that in terms of influence in that part of the world. But you know who you blame for that? You blame the country called Iran because Iran instead of being focused on immediate next-door neighboring states and conflicts that has an immediate impact on Iranian national security interests, what has Iran done the last 10 years? Building up forces in Syria or going around and, and supporting the Houthis in Yemen in faraway land. Yemen has no uh, real uh, national security 
you know, uh, significance really for Iran because it's far away. There's no connections between the two. But geopolitically, Iran chooses to invest in places like Yemen and Syria. And, and, and when, when the South Caucasus uh, blows up, the Iranians are caught by surprise. And all they can do is hope the Russians can save the day. And I think this is the untold story of Iran's position in the South Caucasus. For the longest of time, they have been accepting that Russia is the master of that part of the world. And the Iranians haven't done anything to upset Russian sens- sensibilities, un- unless, uh, I'm sorry, unlike the Turks who do push back on the Russians, the Iranians haven't, because the Iranians don't have any options other than to accept Russian diktat, because Iran has isolated itself from the West, doesn't have a open channel with Washington, so it relies on the goodwill of Russia and China to survive, which means Russia and China basically oftentimes decide what Iranian interests are in a place like South Caucasus, which historically as close as, as I described to you, to Iran. So that's the tragedy of Iranian foreign policy as far as the South Caucasus is concerned today, Mark. <laughs> well, that's really summed it up beautifully. Now, uh, last one, just to finish it off, I, um, about four or five months ago when we last spoke, um, you seemed fairly optimistic that the uh, JCPOA, the, uh, the uh, sanctions for nuclear um, deal, would be done sooner or later, but it seems not even to have got to new talks. Um, Are you more or less optimistic, or do you think it's just a matter of time and and that everyone's just uh, playing, jockeying for position in the negotiating stakes? You know, I I have been saying for weeks uh, that Iran has no option but to return to the nuclear deal. And the United States really doesn't have good options. And I know everybody's talking about Plan B these days, but what is Plan B? Plan B is a reference to a possible use of force. And there are a number of problems associated with that. Uh, number one, they can't blow this thing up. I mean, there is not one nuclear site that you, you blow up. I mean, people talk about, you know, deep penetrating bombs that will solve the solution, the problem once and for all. Well, it will blow one, two, 10, 50, 20 sites. But what the Iranians have shown over the course of the last 20 some years is this is an indigenous program. The know-how is in Iran. What they need to rebuild it is in Iran. And they can just rebuild. And if you keep hitting them militarily, you might just push them to decide to have a nuclear weapon, which to this day, an international atomic energy agency has not said they are at this moment looking for a nuclear weapon. So the West needs to be careful. You don't push them in the direction of weaponizing when they, at their very best right now, want to be a nuclear weapon threshold state. And I think there's no denying that. I know Ayatollah Khamenei has issued fatwa saying a nuclear weapon is un-Islamic, but frankly, very few people buy that. Yeah. I think Iran spends so much energy on this that they obviously want to have the option to weaponize. But there are no good, good options for both, both for either side. And the Iranians would be foolish to think that Russia and China will save the day for them. What they need to do is to come back, not just talk to the United States and the West, but also talk to the Russians, the Chinese, and most importantly, to their neighboring states, the regional states, countries like Saudi Arabia, UAE, and so forth, Turkey. What Iran needs is peace and space. But what it needs to recognize is it has got the, the solution to that peace and space to invest at home and do some nation building at home because that's exactly what the Iranian people are are starving for. Some more space to breed and live at home instead of having all their money sent across the border in pursuit of foreign policy ventures. 
Well, Alex, I have to say that was an absolutely superb uh, insight to all that's going on. I'm, I'm sure our listeners will be delighted to have heard all of that. And thanks so much for coming and joining us again today. I hope we will we'll talk again in a, in a few months and see where all this has led. Hope so. Thanks, Mark. Great to see you again. Thank you. Thanks so much. And you've been listening to the Caspian Podcast with Alex Vatanka and me, Mark Elliott. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.